0: Hello, Toby Haydock here. I think Doctor Who's a very special programme and my encounter with this very special lady is, I think, one of the reasons why. We're in Leicester Square. This is... Uh Uh, a remount of a previous production of Toby Head Oaks Who's Round but they're always better when they're in the flesh than on Skype so an interview that was conducted from Canada is now being done face to face so I'm going to ask my victim to tell me who she is and why I'm talking to her about Doctor Who.
1: And when you're talking about remount I was thinking of horses. (laughs) Last week I was working with the Disabled Riding Association in Victoria helping people who would otherwise not be able to ride, to sit on horses and have a a jolly good time. And that was really amazing. So I'm Joy Hunter, and I was Joy Harrison. And I was in Doctor Who in too long ago to remember, 1974, I think, uh, with John Pertwee. And I played Jill Tarrant in Death to the Daleks.
0: Uh, there we go what an intro and uh, Tarrant being a famous Terry Nation name he called a lot of characters Tarrant you know uh, including one in Blake Seven it was one of his favourite names well well (laughs) done so um, yes and we, we we were first in contact when we were doing the DVD and you very kindly sent me some answers to some questions and I spoke your words by proxy but now now uh, you can speak them yourself so your memories of getting the part in Doctor Who.
1: Yes well it was quite interesting because I kind of got sidetracked into research and was in the BBC club one day thinking I'd love to get back into acting and someone said to me why don't you go along the uh, the corridors of power, halls of power and just knock on a few doors and see what they're casting and I did. And I actually got into another series through that. <clears throat> and uh, it was uh, most enjoyable. And it was from that series that I think Michael Bryant must have seen it. Um, and he asked me to come for an audition for Doctor Who. And I got the part, which was a tremendous joy.
0: And if you're going to be Doctor Who in Doctor Who, being in a quarry with the Daleks is about as as iconically Doctor Who as you can get.
1: As good as it gets, it certainly is, yes. So you have to be there. And it's amazing how many people love John Pertwee as the Doctor too. So to have John Pertwee and the Daleks was pretty amazing.
0: Well I don't know if I dare mention this in front of Nick. Nick, Joy's husband, is here. Um, I don't know if you've read John Pertwee's autobiography. And he's nodding. In which John Pertwee... Uh, he, he, apparently he took rather a shine to you, Joy.
1: Apparently he did, yes. And, can can, uh, can tell I give at the you time? the
2: quote? <laughs> Do- the quote is joy harrison who was quote dropped dead gorgeous
1: that's not you bad still is are. it <laughs> anyway that that comes from uh, my beloved husband but um, yes uh, i could tell at the time i certainly could tell at the time although he's a complete gentleman about it
0: and you'd worked with Liz
1: laden before hadn't you and i had i was uh, met her at the library theatre in manchester and she was uh, she was playing the lead in the Crucible, and um, and I was also in that show, and it was a, a good experience. And I found her to be a delightful person and a very good actress. So it was it was grand to meet her again in Doctor Who. Um, and what about Michael? Michael as a director, oh, a lovely director, very. Um, I was going to say easygoing, but that he knew exactly what he wanted, but he kind of let us find our way there and um, so he was not intimidating in any way shape or form just created a very relaxed atmosphere which I think produced the best in that show
0: and I think the one long set and I think we're going to move to talk about more interesting things than Doctor Who as is quite right with these podcasts but to prove there is more to life than Doctor Who um, you did a thing with one of your co-stars that probably means that Dust Daleks is more memorable for him in terms of Julian Fox and yes. the way his life turned
1: out? Yes, Julian Fox and I became friends on the show. And um, previously I'd worked with a makeup artist um, who I thought would get on very well with Julian. And so I invited them both for dinner one night. And as it happened, they hit it off and they got married. And I believe they're still together and they have a son. In fact, we went to the wedding, Nick and I went to the wedding. And um, that was uh, a great. A great achievement, really. I've, I was in the marriage marriage business, and and uh, later on became a marriage and family therapist. So I guess that was my first uh, foray into
2: <laughs> putting
1: ten. people together.
0: Well, you heard that siren. That was the Doctor Who police <laughs> saying you're in the company of somebody far more interesting than four weeks on Doctor Who, uh, because we found you. Um, we well, found you in Canada. Yes. Um, Via radio, via radio for I mean, all sorts. So where do we get? So what? What took you to Canada then, in the first place?
1: Well, um, I think I kind of woke up. Um, I I went to uh, I went to live in a community um, which changed my life. Um, I was pretty impressed. It was a very alternative type of community, and it woke me up to the spiritual side of life, which I think I'd been ignoring up to that point, and. Um, I realized I'd been pretty uncon- living a pretty unconscious life, so I, I, I changed a lot of things and um, uh, one of the things happened, that happened was that my, my good friend, my boyfriend, Nick, came, used to come down every weekend to this community and he also was, was pretty impacted by, by what he saw and it really was what we saw there, we just saw a lot of love lived out and we saw a lot of lives change through that love and um and so we decided that that's really what we wanted in our lives we wanted we wanted to have a family we wanted to bring up our kids in the same way we could see these these children being brought up and we got married and we moved to Salisbury in Wiltshire and we lived there for five years and um we began to use our drama acting um in different kind of um situations in the community with other people but we started going into schools doing short sketches and we started going on we went on the streets and did short sketches and and we went to prisons and to community centers and anywhere really where there was an open door and we found we got a huge response we do sort of short pithy sketches and they were environmental ethical spiritual questions and that kind of thing but they were very funny so that Monty Python kind of um format so people were laughing and at the same time they were thinking and it was um, quite successful and a church in Canada got to hear about this um, and they invited us to go over to see if it would uh, fly in Toronto and in fact they gave us a two year contract and so that's why we emigrated
0: and, you stayed, and so you stayed there and not
1: looked back? Yeah, our contract didn't go too well we, we, we <laughs> fell foul of a few A few of the folk who were paying our paying our uh, wages, and they actually cut our contract, and so we were in a uh, quite a tough situation. But we 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 just decided we were going to make it work. We we'd made the big move, and we we had to survive. And and so uh, Nick worked uh, in public relations. He got a job uh, working for a in leprosy actually um, and, and travelled a lot overseas to Bangladesh and India and that kind of thing and, um, and was raising awareness about leprosy and raising funds and um, I trained as a, began to train as a counsellor and ended up as a marriage and family therapist and took some the- theological training along the way so I got a masters degree Nick also got a masters degree and um, eventually We moved to the West Coast, which was partly because I had asthma quite badly, and in Toronto um, the climate was so extreme, it it, it did a bit of number on my health. So we moved to the West Coast, which is a much gentler climate, and uh, when we were there I was offered a job as a chaplain, a hospital chaplain, Um, and it's an interfaith uh, job, and uh, that. I've
0: been working in that for the last six years. Thumbs up from Nick. That's a very good, good description of, of there to now, which we like.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and it's uh, 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 what struck me though is that it's interesting. Both of you are actors, and acting could often be seen as a sort of quite a selfish and narcissistic pursuit. And you've both turned the artistic side of what you're doing to something that is much more empathic and supportive than people would expect most actors to be.
2: Yeah. <laughs> is that fair to say? Nick can answer that <laughs> question. <laughs> on the spot, Nick. Okay, on the spot. Um, <sighs> key. I, sw- uh, I can only speak for myself when I say that what I discovered through the work that we did that was acting is both a gift to those that we perform to as well as a gift to myself. So that acting became a vehicle for me to learn not for me simply to teach and to show, to demonstrate, to emote, but to work with others to see how I respond. Um, I say this because Joy and I had started to use uh, drama therapy in federal and provincial prisons, in both male and female, and I learned more about myself in prison from the inmates. I learned more about my relationship with Joy, I learned more about my own faith, than I ever could have done outside. So, uh, whenever I see a performance, I hope that whoever is whoever is there is also learning from, as well as giving to so that it becomes a circle which is dynamic and it isn't. It's never static.
0: So you don't miss the old, the old way of doing it of turning up to a theatre or. St- Standing course in front
2: of camera. <laughs> <laughs> of course I do. But it's um, I have to be realistic. Um, humanly speaking I couldn't make it work, so that's the end of that.
0: So, yeah.
2: You know, you have to do what you have to do. And uh, I made my conscious decision many years ago just to say, No, I haven't got what it takes. Um, but thanks very much. I had five, six wonderful years. I met Joy. Enough's enough. Did you meet on a on a job?
1: Well, not an acting job, but it was an interviewing job. I interviewed Nick's mum
0: for,
1: for BBC World Service,
0: which neatly takes us then because I, I hadn't known this about you. Um, I, I'd known about you know, I'd seen what you'd done as an actor, but you, you worked a lot for, for BBC Radio. So how did I that did. come about?
1: Well, it came about actually because I went on retreat one weekend. And I didn't even know what retreat was, but I was working for a programme for Yorkshire Television as a researcher, and the presenter of that, Geoffrey Wheeler, saw I was very tired, and he said to me, you should go on retreat, Joy. So he sent me off to Chester, and I kind of went to this place, and I knocked on the abbey walls, and this smiling sister opened the door, and she said, you must be Joy, you're welcome. And I had a tremendous sense of coming home. It was amazing. I spent the whole weekend happy as a clam, Um, chatting with the sisters, helping, sometimes being quiet. And at the end of it, they found out I was going to London. And they said, oh, I said, you should look up John Lang. He's the um, head of religious broadcasting at, uh, at Broadcasting House. And so that's exactly what I did. I went and knocked on the door, and I said, the sister sent me, and here I am, and he didn't know what to do with me. But he sent me along to see one of his producers who put me in front of a microphone and said, interview me, and I did, and he liked what he he heard. And he said, I think you should go on an interviewer's course. And he sent me on an interviewer's course, which I like gold to get onto. I didn't even appreciate that at the time. But I was only on it, it's only about a week, but it taught me all the ins and outs and the kind of questions to ask and the technical side of it as well. And at the end of it, my name was then distributed to all the various programmes, producers, as a bona fide interviewer. So I could work for you and yours and start the week and the various uh, Sunday programmes, uh, Sunday the magazine programme and, and World Service. And, and I, I just found that I was working a lot. I was doing a lot of interviews, which I loved because I'm a curious kind of person and I like finding out about people's lives. It's brilliant and uh, having the perfect excuse to do it. And and I liked the people I interviewed and they seemed to like me. They responded very well. So I had fun with Morecambe and Wise.
0: Were they not a nightmare to interview? Or not at all.
1: That, you couldn't, I mean, you just forget any kind of plan you had. They were totally spontaneous but they were very funny. And uh, Eric Morecambe, and I said to him, what's your idea of luxury? And he said, you are. So I said, thank you very much. It's <laughs> <Yes. laughs> <That's> lovely. <laughs> yeah, so just fun. Yeah, I spent most of the time laughing during that one. It was great. But yeah, I met some amazing people. People made me really think too and, um, about my own life and, and where I was going. And because they were, they were so inspiring.
0: So who, who like that? Because that's the interesting. well one, you know, I didn't know when I embarked for this that I was talking to somebody who's done an interviewer's course. So I'm in trouble now. <laughs> and uh, you do find doing this process, you meet people who make you think about your own life, which I hadn't thought of when I first started to do this. Yep. So who, who were the sort of people that you encountered that had that an effect?
1: Well, I think, I mean, I interviewed Glenda Jackson and she was amazing because she's a powerhouse. You know who she is. Yeah,
2: yeah. Politician and actress. <laughs> exactly. She and was very a, good at
1: both. Very, a brilliant. And she was, she was an actress when I met her. Oh, wasn't she? She was still an actress mm-hmm. then. And um, she said to me, when I asked her how she got into acting, she said, it's the only job that really interested me because she said, when I was uh, doing a holiday job from school, I was working at Boots, the chemist. And she said, in two weeks, I, I knew that I could have run Boots. I could have run it a whole lot better than it was being run already and she said that's been my experience with most things I've done but acting is constantly challenging me so that's why I love it so much and she just had that kind of she was a very acute kind of person she was she was amazing and um, impressive and then there was a uh, I met a bishop from South Africa called Trevor Huddleston don't know whether you remember him he was the first person really to stand up against apartheid and uh, he was so inspiring uh, it was just that he was he was living his life with this huge kind of vision and that blew me away far beyond himself and his own interests it was uh, and and his everything he did was uh, was driven by that and he was he,
2: Sorry to interrupt, but he was the person in Tutu's book, whenever Trevor Huddleston, who was a, a priest in South Africa, would meet Tutu's mum, he would take his hat off to him. And he always remembered that, the fact that a white person would take their hat off in the presence of his mother. Rem, he, re, he said remained in his heart and remained in his spirit. And he said there is hope between the white and the black people fascinating, fascinating.
1: Mm-hmm. extraordinary mm-hmm. sorry
0: that's it and so did, did doing the interviews did that is that what made you shift away from acting or was that
1: just a natural process um, no I, I still loved acting I loved acting just as Nick meant said you'd love to be acting now I'd love to be acting now um, it's you, I went where the work was basically I, I'm not good at resting you know if I if I wasn't waitressing or researching or interviewing you know then I'd be acting it was it was like that but acting was always my first choice of course sometimes I missed up the acting jobs because I was tied up with one of these other things or doing a, con- a contract but that was that's just the luck of it or, sure uh, but I needed to keep myself just because of the person I am I needed to keep my mind Occupied, or my monkey mind occupied, doing something.
0: <laughs> so what were the highlights of the, the acting work that you did
1: then? Well, the highlights were... Um, you know, honestly, if I go back to drama school at Bristol Old Vic Theatre School, one of my highlights started there when I was in an improvisation class. And uh, there were three of us, and we hadn't worked together ever before, but this particular scene we began to to act just took off and we were in a hat shop and we're trying on hats and i just remember it being the most exciting thing because it suddenly just had a life of its own and and i really learned in that class what that acting about acting being reacting reacting and trusting the people you're with felt didn't know these people well just felt complete trust to be able to play off one another as it were and it was so exciting and it was so funny and it it was a real highlight now I'll I'll always remember that particular class Um, but working with the Monty Python team or at least Terry Palin Michael Palin and Terry Jones in um, the complete and utter history of Britain which was a pilot never got Beyond a pilot, it was on the cutting room—you know, cut up on the cutting room floor. But it was, it was just a, a, a blast from beginning to end. We, again, we filmed. I like filming. We filmed in Hereford, and it—it um, it was. They, they're such wonderful people, and it was, kind of improvised great a great deal, and uh, a, 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 fun cast. We all got on really well together, and it was a week away in Hereford, and I remember it snowed. It was April and a blast, it was great fun. And then, of course, Doctor Who was a highlight, sitting in sand pits and having arrows fired at me, which I believe is very brave, you keep telling me. Yeah. It looked as though I was going to be
0: Yeah, you and John, you and John Abaneri, they, they land between John Abaneri's legs, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> That's anyway. very trusting of you.
1: <laughs> At the time, just, just acting, just completely in the part, you see, so <laughs> method acting. I, I didn't even realise till I saw the photographs afterwards. But um, and um, I had uh, had the privilege of playing two leads in two Tom Stoppard plays, who I also interviewed. I interviewed him, and he was an interesting character, um, very in, brilliant man. Um, but uh, playing in the real Inspector Hound and After Magritte and marvellous parts. And going on tour with that and having rave reviews in Berry St Edwin's. <laughs> Brilliant comedy, they say.
0: Um, I've done comedy in Bury and nobody's ever said that about there me, you so go. you're winning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and what else? Oh I think my radio plays. I enjoyed being in a soap opera with Julie uh, playing Julie Jardin, who was a drug addict who withdrew from drugs on, on. Um, on the radio and I enjoyed the the casualness if you like I mean the complete professionalism but the casualness of radio so it didn't matter what you wore you just showed up you didn't have to worry about your appearance at all and um, there was such a lack of self-consciousness it it, it was brilliant for me I loved it and just watching these amazing um, radio actors who've been at it forever Uh, and I can't think of any names at the moment but um on oh, tom i was in a play with tom baker who was pretty amazing um but you know and, and pierce plowright directed a lot of the ones i did and richard wordley and they were great great directors and producers um
0: so you did you did john pertwee and tom baker so you've worked yeah, with two two of two them doctors.
1: exactly two doctors yeah and uh I did a lot of work as well for for World Service, which was fun. You know, that was teaching English to Germans. That was one series I did, and having quite a lot of acting snippets in that. And uh, that was like the nice thing about radio. Something it is a bit like a nine-to-five job, and you get a regular paycheck if you're in a series or something like that. So I was also in a soap on TV called Harriet's Back in Town. which wasn't that much fun. And I got written out a bit because I think the leading lady didn't think much of me. um, It uh, it, it was a regular paycheck. I can't say I enjoyed the scripts, but it was a regular paycheck. That was nice. And... um,
0: Hmm. That's a pretty... Queen Mum. Oh, the Queen Mum. The
1: Queen Mum. Bless her heart. She was a lovely lady, reading poetry to the Queen Mum. The friend of mine was a... <clears throat> had a, a jazz band and he invited me to read poetry to a backing of jazz and <coughs> she was the chancellor of um, London University Union, Students Union so she came for the evening and she was all dressed up with a tiara and uh, such a good sport uh, he asked her if she'd like to play the bongo drums and she obliged and uh, I think she'd had quite a few gins by then, but she was a lovely presence and she shook our hands and we felt, I think each one of us felt, we were the only person in the world at that moment. It was uh, her gift to us, special lady.
0: Gin the fuel of a nation, <laughs> the fuel of the empire.
1: <laughs> okay, well, bring us, bring us up to speed then. So, so I worked six years in the hospital. As a, an interfaith hospital chaplain, which was wonderful work and um, a real privilege to be at the bedside and to be um, to be called in kind of to that sacred space um, at the end of somebody 's life very often happened in the palliative unit um, that a lot of people s- feel that they need some kind of Spiritual input at that time, and um, yeah just just being there and being a presence and uh, sometimes reading something if that were appropriate, uh, something that they would enjoy or um, and uh, hopefully having built some kind of relationship before before that those last moments um, so that it really is a very A privileged time, and 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 uh, what, to, to be invited into that kind of intimacy by the family and the and the patient, and and working with residents as well in the hospital and a lot of Alzheimer's residents and getting into their world and um, just finding finding it tremendously rewarding that that, that kind of work and. Bringing some joy, hopefully, to to brighten up days. Uh, I miss that.
0: It, it must be extraordinary, though. I was talking to a doctor about this last night, who works in A and E, as all doctors have. And, and you know, she was talking about being there, at, you know, moments of great trauma and things like that. And I, I always think it's extraordinary. That somebody like me, who's never encountered anything like that, that your day-to-day life, where you have to cut the hedge and make coffee and do that sort of thing has these moments of intense I mean I, I imagine profundity almost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and how that you balance your em, emotional makeup between two places that most people don't inhabit quite so often does that make sense
1: yeah and I, I do think the key word is presence I think if you are present to the moment that's that's the biggest gift you can bring um, and I think uh, One of the elders who taught me on an end-of-life training course, she said, you need to show up, pay attention, tell the truth, and don't be attached to the outcome. And I thought that was very wise, and it's helped me a lot. And the other thing she taught me was, you're enough in the situation. You are enough. And that goes for everyone, and I think... There is a sense of being called at that particular time to be in this place with this, with this person, and and that's enough. Um, so you know, I think my big fear is of doing something inappropriate, of saying the wrong thing. Or, but it's amazing, actually. Somebody said to me, you know, people who are dying are very forgiving, and I think <laughs> they are. I think they are. And sometimes, if you if you if one has a heart. For this work, one isn't going to be perfect all the time, but, but that, that is, is the most important thing and, and peop, people know, and uh, yeah, we make mistakes, but we don't have to be hard on ourselves about that because uh, the main thing is that we have been, we've been present and we've been there just bringing bringing ourselves, bringing the gifts we have. And so, what's next? Ha ah, this um, time last year I was diagnosed with breast cancer, which was a bit of a shocker, came out of the blue. And so it has been a, a tough year of um, surgery, chemo and radiation. And um, uh, changed a lot of things in my life. I think uh, I've spent an, a, a tremendous amount of time alone alone, um, which hasn't been lonely, um, which has been, uh, I would say, a time of solitude rather than loneliness, and um, learned uh, to be there for myself, to be present for myself maybe, having been present for others, but to be really present to myself and, and to really love myself through it, um, which is quite a growth for me, I think. I think that's been the struggle of my life, and, and can't, that's the, been the gift of cancer for me.
0: Well, you were saying
2: before, Nick, that it's a a great leveller. Cancer the great teacher. You didn't want it, but you have it. Yeah. Joy's been amazing. Just been amazing. There am I going, yeah, all the way through everything that Joy's saying, saying, absolutely. And she's brought that to bear during this past year. Um, Sorry, just to get very sentimental. Joy is my hero. Uh, Because. I've seen somebody go through what I hope other people don't have to, but incredibly, people will go through. But she's done it with such courage, equanimity, grace, and love. God bless you. Well,
1: I have to say that Nick has been my incredible support through it, as you can imagine, and um, I. I I can't imagine going through it on my own, as some people have to, but um, it's just made all the difference, you know, to have someone there, through the good, the bad and the ugly. I'm very grateful for him.
0: Well, how special. I'm very um, privileged to have um, you you two have both shared that with me, so thank you. Um, Thank
1: you, And and I hope that
0: was okay. Um, And, of course, I wish you well, as as do, I'm, I'm sure, everyone that's listening. Um, who convened here, you know, to, to hear about Who, and I think got something much more special, which is what this is all about. Um, and as a result of that, I asked them uh, to donate to a charity because they don't pay for this and none of us get paid for this. So what, what charity would you like them to
1: donate to? Well, after my experience, it would definitely be breast cancer.
0: Thank and you. I'll do a link uh, in my outro to the show. Mm. And We've nominally convened here about Doctor Who because Doctor Who is 50 years old this year. I don't know if you knew this, Nick. Doctor Who started the day after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, which is 50 what? years ago this November. Um, so what is?
2: And the death of C.S. Lewis.
0: And, and the, the death th- of uh, Aldous, Aldous Huxley. Huxley. Come on. Oh, we're with an educated man here, people. <laughs> this is very good.
1: That's right. All three on the same day. All yeah. three on the same day. Incredible.
0: Yeah. 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 So uh, none of them got to see Doctor Who. Exactly. <laughs>
2: what a tragedy. How could they face it? I'm sure a, C.S. Lewis would have loved Doctor yeah, Who. Yeah, he probably yeah. tried
0: to sue it on occasion, <laughs> I should think. <laughs> so what's your what's the message that we have to the listening Doctor Who fans on this, it's 50th year?
1: It's such a unique show. Um, Toby, was earlier you were saying, or maybe it was Nick who was saying, it has an innocence about it. It's, it's... Um, it, it, it... It has a tremendous charm of its own. It it continues to find brilliant actors um, to play the Doctor. And uh, I find it very entertaining. Um, The Daleks are loved by some people and feared by many, and sometimes both together. Um, You can't say that about many villains. And... uh, I, it keeps up to the minute and I, th- I think it's it's getting stronger definitely getting stronger as it moves with the times um, and it has a great future ahead of it so I hope everybody will keep watching
0: I'm sure they will and um, and uh, I'd just like to say what a great uh, yes pleasure it's been and thank you for, we've kept in touch for a couple of years now and it's really great and this and you listeners are listening to the moment we finally met each other so <laughs> Joy and Nick Hunter Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Thank you Toby. Toby. I that was okay. That was great. That was Good I to... Well done. My thanks to Joy and to Nick. What lovely people. And uh, that all started when I emailed Joy out of the blue, thanks to Richard Bignall, who gave me the lead. Um, We've kept in touch ever since. And that was the first time we met. And um, I think that was... Uh, was quite a special moment. Lovely people. Um, Breast cancer. Well, Cancer Research UK are a charity that have benefited from Who's Round before. If you want to specify breast cancer, um, there's breastcanceruk.org.uk. They look at reducing breast cancer. There's Breast Cancer Care, which is breastcancercare.org.uk. Because Joy is based in Canada. Any international Listeners or those from the UK, there is the Canadian Breast Cancer Foundation, which is www.cbcf.org. So, your breast cancer charity, charity of choice. Um, these have largely been released chronologically, but for the odd one that, for various boring reasons, hasn't been. Um, and of course, Russell T. Davis was brought forward in the schedule um, uh, to mark special occasions. But in terms of where the land lies with when the interviews were conducted, after I interviewed Joy Russell came to my other half's flat and we chatted for hours and hours uh, for the multi-part interview that I did with him. So I think it's only fair if the next Who's Round is a continuation of that so that you get a feel for when it uh, fell within the production, if one can use so lofty a word, of uh, the whole oeuvre of Who's Round. So here's a preview of that. Thanks for listening and um, stay safe. And how did you manage your writers when you say, because you say some of the came from them? You know, the, again, it goes back to that, oh, that was in Marvelous, Russell T Davis, yeah. But you are an executive producer of the television program, and the buck stops with you. Yes, yes, so yes. Do, is there a
2: firmness to. You? Oh, there is. There were a couple of writers who wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, I think two years passed. Away. Oh, right. <laughs> I haven't noticed. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, the fourth Doctor Adventures Doctor Who The Fate of Krelos. Hang on.
1: The control room. The light, the color, the smell, it is. Different.
0: Help, killing, ding. help, killing, ding, help. Hey now, what are you
1: doing? Ding. What are you calculating? Killing. Ding. You are I can't oh, I can't hold on for much longer. Uh,
2: hello, hello! I'm the doctor.
0: This is Leela. You seem to be in a spot of trouble.
1: Uh,
2: you could say that. Uh, doctor A city built by Tesh? Certainly technological, yes, really. Rather beautiful, don't you think? And with approval ratings now sky high, the mayor of Kryllos City has been soaking up the adulation when she announced the completion of the final section of planet-wide connectivity.
0: Look, Doctor. That beautiful city, destroyed.
2: yes. Torn out, ripped apart, utterly destroyed.
1: Master! Master! Danger! nine. what is the
2: matter? Yes, what is it?
1: (gasps) What? What was that? Let's not stop to find out. It is the end of all that we love. (laughs) A world torn out, ripped apart.
2: Big finish. We love stories.